Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning out there, all you short-term shoppers. It's Avery Carl, and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of. So I get a lot of emails from y'all every week, and I love getting emails from you, by the way. I love talking to our listeners, and a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets, and what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the short-term show is actually a subsidiary of the short-term shop which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by EXP. I have to say that or I get in trouble in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country. And we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next, and all of that really fun stuff. So if you want to be a part of the short-term shop community, if you want to buy a house with us, we really want to help you guys. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. Welcome back, short-term shoppers. Today we have Chelsea Jones. She has done quite a few different things in terms of her investing portfolio. She's been at it for quite a while. Much She started much earlier than I did, not quite as early as Jabbar, who was on a few, uh, few episodes back, but uh, she was pretty successful uh, really early on. So I'm really excited for her to share her story with you. Chelsea, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's start there. Who are you? What do you do? Where'd you come from? All that fun stuff. Yeah. So I am from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I'm 29. I got started investing when I was about 24, 25 uh, with long-term rentals, but I currently am a real estate agent in Columbus, Ohio and a full-time investor. Awesome. So you started when you were 24, what did you buy? What was your financial picture at the time? Because I know I didn't have my stuff together when I was 24. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I had actually bought my first house at 20, um, moved into that, kind of fixed it up. And then when I met my boyfriend, we decided to move in together. And instead of um, selling that condo that I bought, you know, when I was 20, I decided to rent it out. So that's kind of what started this whole thing in motion. And after that, I saw kind of, so that was, I guess, when I was around 23. So that's, that's what started this whole thing in motion. And I was like, what? I can collect a paycheck by doing next to nothing. <laughs> uh, so it was really awesome. It was paying that mortgage, uh, plus a pretty nice profit. So I had worked with the same company for about 10 years. And 
that allowed me, you know, I, I was always a saver. So from the time I was 15, I had the same job until I was, you know, 25, put money away every single paycheck. And once I kind of started renting that first house out, I was like, wow, I need more of this because this is awesome. So I had used all of my savings and went and bought a little con another little condo. That one already had tenants in it. So super easy transition. The tenants had been there for a few years. So it was really nice. Um, didn't end up nice. I have some crazy horror stories about long-term rental. <laughs> so excited to move to the short-term rental game. But yeah, so I had just used all of my savings to fund that purchase. And then uh, I found a duplex and actually my boyfriend was a co-signer on it. So I got a really great loan on that one. And I used the profits from my previous rentals and then just, you know, my W-2 job to fund that one. So you had the same job at age 25 for 10 years since you were 15. So I might be wrong about this. I don't want to make any assumptions, but I would imagine that a job that you can get when you're 15 is probably not like a, a seven figure salary. So tell us about that. How, how were you able to do that? Yeah, what was the job? <laughs> definitely not. Um, so I started, it's a grocery store. So Kroger, uh, it's kind of all over. <laughs> so um, I started as a bagger when I was 15, kind of as soon as I could fill out that worker's permit and get a job. Uh, started and just kind of continued to climb the ranks. So turned into a department lead position to a backup position. Uh, so I was hourly for probably about um, eight of those 10 years. And then I went into their management program. So I was two years in management, which is a salary position, not even close to a, a six, seven figure <laughs> income, um, very low budget. Uh, now my rentals, you know, far surpass that, that salary that I was given. Awesome. So you went from being a grocery bagger to being a successful entrepreneur and investor before 30. Okay. So I have lots and lots of questions about this. So, okay. So you had, it sounds like you had three long-term rentals by like your mid twenties. Yep. That's pretty awesome. So what made you decide to get into short terms after having a pretty successful early career with long terms? Yeah. So I actually just kind of heard of short-term rental investing from a friend and from doing some research on, on Facebook, on uh, the Bigger Pockets pa podcast is a huge thing that really opened my mind to that. And my long-terms were going great and they were, you know, paying my bills. I was able to quit that full-time job when I was 25 uh, to be able to do real estate full-time. And I wasn't an agent at the time. So I was just making a living on my rental income. Um, and I was working on a property flip and I wanted to, I didn't want to rent it out, just wanted to flip it. So I had all of this cash and I wasn't really sure what to do with it because I was at the point where no one would give me a loan based on my debt to income. So I wanted to continue with the long-term rental game, but couldn't get a loan to support that. Um, and then once I kind of stumbled into the short-term rental market, I learned about second home loans and DSCR loans and different kind of investment loans. And they were willing to give me a loan. So <laughs> um, I was able to 1031, do a 1031 exchange from the uh, property that I flipped into a short-term rental. I also just had, I had a really good property, really bad property where I was just flipping tenants. You know, it felt like every couple months. Um, 
crazy circumstances. So I just wanted to get out of that, that game. And once I fell into short-term rentals, that three to $700 a month wasn't really exciting for me anymore. Let's I'm, I'm still on your long terms, so we'll get to short terms in a minute. So what you said, you had some really good ones and some really bad ones. So for maybe some newbies listening who might be interested in getting into long term, uh, I mean, I've got a lot of long terms and sometimes, you know, they long terms and short terms each have their own sets of, of pros and cons. But what was the difference between that good one and that bad one? Yeah, so my duplex, uh, which was the the third one I bought, uh, that one was really awesome. It had the same tenants that were, they had been there like five years before I bought it, and they're actually still in there today. Well, the back unit is still in there today. Uh, the front unit, I was able to find a, a second set. But my condo that I bought, um, the, so the second investment property, sorry, um, <clears throat> That one, so it started, I don't even know if I can say this, but um, it started with a murder on Christmas. That was something I never thought that I would get to experience as a landlord. Craziness. Um, But I got that phone call on Christmas morning saying that someone was shot uh, in the hallway, like right when you open the front door. So... (laughs) Uh, that was probably what started kind of the bad luck of that condo. So obviously whole whole slew of things that happened with that. You know, I couldn't even get into the place. It was a crime scene. The tenant, well, the tenant that was still alive from there um, just kind of fled. Uh, so didn't have any way to get in contact with them. Uh, yeah, it was a wild ride. And then after that, had someone move in for like a week, trash the place, then move out. Uh, couldn't find them, you know, to go after that security deposit or extra money from that. Um, And then my next one I had to evict. So yeah, that one was a little, a little cursed. (laughs) Okay. So you are the second person that I've interviewed in about two weeks that yours was an actual murder. Uh, We had a guy on previously who had an attempted murder with an ax, which is Pretty interesting in the grand scheme of murders. Uh, so let's talk about that really fast. So not to take this on a morbid side um, side bar here, but I did read there was uh, an article recently, probably about a month and a half ago, where there was a cabin in the Smokies, a big three-story cabin on the side of a mountain um, that we'd actually sold a lot of cabins on that street, and it didn't end up being one of our clients. But it was a murder attempted suicide. So a guy shot a, I think it was, it was a big cabin. So there were six bedrooms. So I don't know what the relationships of everyone were, but uh, someone was shot and killed. And then someone jumped off the third story balcony, but he didn't die. Like, that's terrible. That whole, the whole story is like so terrible. Um, But anyway, uh, I'm trying to tie this all back to like murder can happen anywhere, anytime. So I just tell that story so that people uh, realize it's not just long term. So when what is the procedure like when something like this happens, do you have to shut your house down for X amount of time? Because I would imagine that there's lots of, uh, you know, police things that have to go on and then clean up like. Who's in charge of that when that happens? This is so morbid. I didn't mean to take it here, but since we brought it up, like, let's talk about it. 
Yeah. So, um, excuse me. So the police, you know, had it kind of taped off and it was actually the tenant who was still alive that like called me to say that her fiance had been murdered. Wait a minute. Um, She called you and said, (laughs) did she tell you she did it? She did not, but, um, you know, neighbors talk. So when I did finally go over there, everyone had their own story of what happened. Um, and they all kind of pointed fingers to either her or that she had it done by someone else. Oh my God. So she called you like before the police were there and everything. Yeah. Yep. And she said that they cleaned it all up and that the police are on their way. And I'm like, (laughs) what? I'm like unwrapping presents with my kids and I get this phone call and I'm like, oh yeah, it's Christmas. (laughs) It's real life. Like what's happening? (laughs) So, yeah. So I call, it was actually Columbus's 100th murder. So, you know, made the record books for that one um, for that year. So I called the police station like, hey, what do I do? Like I own the property because I had no clue. You know, like this isn't something that happens every day that I can just Google. Um, So called them and they were like, you know, we're all set. And this was So I had called them the next day, actually. Um, I finished Christmas, which might be selfish. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know how to be. I don't know how to be in this situation. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So they were like, no, we're all done. You can go in the property. Everything is cleaned up. And I'm like, okay. So, like, do you need a statement from me? Like, do I, what do I do from here? They're like, nothing. So I really didn't have to do anything. I tried at that point to get in touch with the tenant, the living tenant, and just no response, no response. She did end up texting me like three weeks later, like, I've moved. Well, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen or heard from you. So yeah, I just went in, um, cleaned everything up. I obviously replaced the flooring um, because there were some bullet holes, some blood under that. So I replaced all the flooring and then I, I rented it out again. I'm speechless. <laughs> and I don't even know like how to even respond. Cause I don't want to seem insensitive to the, a terrible, terrible situation, but there's just so many, like so much that has to be done that you as the property owner have to deal with after the fact. Uh, well, that's really crazy. Somebody yeah. call the girls from Crime Junkies. That's one of my favorite <laughs> podcasts. And I feel like now that we've had two people who've had murders in the past three or four weeks, maybe we should start like a side, a side podcast. I'm here for that <laughs> all the way. Murders. <laughs> okay. Anyway, back on track. So I was, I just wanted to hear what you do in that situation when that happens. Yeah. So All right. Now I'm way off track. So then you get into short terms and where was your first property? How did you choose that market? Yeah. So our first property was in the Smokies. It's a four bedroom, four bath, sleeps 12 up by the lake. And funny story. So our, we knew nothing about it. I've been to Tennessee a couple of times, but nothing, you know, it's not like my family vacations there every year or anything like that. Uh, my boyfriend at the time had been like once or twice, you know, we weren't super familiar with it, but we just started researching numbers and the numbers just made sense. Uh, the Smokies is an incredible market if you're looking for that high return. And that's what we were looking for. So we decided on this cabin and it was a, a newly rehabbed cabin. So not a new build, but um, the owners, you know, basically flipped it, 
And we didn't know anything about the market. And we were actually told that that property was a little too far out up by the lake. Uh, so we moved on, started looking at other properties, and then we just kept coming back to the same property. We just loved it. We loved everything it offered. We loved the look of it. Uh, so we decided to make an offer anyways <clears throat> against the, the advice of our realtor, which is okay. And so we ended up closing on that property and we got it for like a couple grand under ask, which nowadays is unheard of. So really excited that we ended up getting that one. And it's been really great. We do get a lot of the lake visitors. So people bring their boats um, with it being a bigger cabin, you know, families are coming together from wherever in the States and bringing their boats, bringing their jet skis and all of that. So it's been really great for us. Yeah, I, that's something that comes up a lot. Because years ago, at least I personally would advise people like, oh, I think the lake is a little bit far from everything. It can be about 45 minutes from Pigeon Forge, depending on which inlet you're on. And it just really makes me nervous. And uh, so I've, I've told lots of people over the years not to buy up there. And it sounds like you're crushing it. Yeah. So it was, and you know, everything our realtor said was very valid, how far it is that there's not a lot of short-term rentals in that area. So ours is a prime example. You know, we, all of our neighbors, they're there full time. So um, luckily they, they like us, I think. Uh, <laughs> so we don't have any issues. Uh, but yeah, so it, it ended up being a really good investment, but this is definitely the farthest one we have out. Surprisingly, we've never gotten any complaints about how far it is. Ours is about 30, 30 35 minutes. Um, obviously, a little longer in the summer just because traffic. But All right. Awesome. So how many short terms do you have now? So we have four that are live, okay. all in the Smokies. We are building two in Perdido Key. And then last week, I just went in contract for another one in the Hocking Hills, Ohio area. Okay. So how long did it take you to get those? I assume you bought those four in the Smokies in a row. Yeah. So how long did that take? So our first one, we closed March 25th. And then the last one we closed um, like early early to mid November. So about, what is that? Eight months? A little oh, less yeah. than that. Pretty quick. <laughs> pretty quick. So how many bedrooms are all of these properties? And then we'll scoot over to the beach properties. Yeah. So we have the four bedroom, four baths. So that one sleeps 12. We, then our next one was a one bedroom, one bath. That one sleeps four. And then a four bedroom, three bath. That one sleeps 10. And then a cute little one bed, one bath that sleeps two. Okay. So you have a pretty nice mix of a little bit bigger properties and then like honeymoon properties, we call them. Yeah, definitely. We like to diversify a little bit just so that we're kind of getting all different aspects. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So what, how'd you end up in Perdido Key from the Smokies? So I'm familiar with that because I kind of grew up coming down to that part of the country, but that's a lot of people talk about Gulf Shores. A lot of people talk about Destin. Perdido Key is like just on the Florida, right across the Florida line from Gulf Shores. Not a lot of people talk about that. So how'd you end up there? Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny. I was just scrolling through Facebook. And when I got into short-term rentals, I basically joined like every group that mentioned short-term rentals, Airbnbs, Superhost, just joined all of them. And I was just kind of scrolling through Facebook and saw that there was this new like neighborhood being built. 
and that it was short-term rental friendly, three bed, two bath, and it was at a killer price. So I, we were actually on our way to dinner when I found this. I did some research at dinner, and by the end of the night, we were in contract. So it happened really fast. I've never been to Pretty Doki. Um, I've never been to Gulf Shore. I've really never been to that part. Um, but yeah, we're looking. Uh, so they're both three bedroom, two bath, and we're looking to do around like 55000 on those. So, And what'd you pay for those two? Uh, two fifty-five. Oh, so that's a great return. Yeah, really great return. And, uh, you know, I've always just wanted to build my own house. So it was really fun to kind of customize, customize everything <laughs> for the beach house, even though I won't be living there, but it was still a fun process. Oh gosh, that process gives me anxiety to think about, like having to make decisions. So it it, it will take me, in, for some things I'm like, yeah, whatever that one, it's fine, just whatever, just do it. But having that many decisions in front of me, like have to pick countertops, have to pick cabinets, have to pick like, you know, a hundred things. I will just sit there and never do anything because I get overwhelmed by all the decisions. So. Oh my God. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It did take <laughs> me a lot longer than I thought it would to pick everything, but. And so you are right now we're recording this in early March, 2022. And that sounds like a really great return. So it sounds like you were gro would gross roughly. I didn't use a calculator engineers out there. I'm just this is eyeballing it roughly like 20 grossing 20% of your purchase price. Yeah. So that's what we're planning on. And with the hopes that, you know, like you said, not a lot of people know about the Perdido key area. So maybe this year it's a little lower, you know, but with the hopes that in the, in the coming years, that's only going to grow in equity and in rents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people out there saying that there are no deals left anywhere. And this is a really good example of you just have to keep looking and there might not be as many deals in like the big, really famous markets. But if you just scoot just outside, then uh, I said scoot twice on this. I'm going to stop saying that. Um, <laughs> but if you go just outside those big areas, like just down the road from Gulf Shores and you're kind of just also down the road from Pensacola on the other side, you can get good returns. You just have to be a little more creative sometimes if you're having a hard time in one of the bigger markets. So really good example of that. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> and last, tell me about Hocking Hills. I know nothing about Hocking Hills. So tell me all about it. Yeah. So Hocking Hills is like an hour to an hour and a half south of Columbus. So it's something that a lot of, you know, Ohioans go to. So it's nice and wooded. So it's kind of like a, a flat Tennessee, if you think about it that way. So if there were any hills in Ohio, it would be <laughs> probably the mountain range for us. And so there's hiking there, there's caverns there, waterfalls, uh, people do like some fishing, ATV riding, zip lines, all of that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a great place to kind of be out in nature, similar to that Smokies kind of atmosphere. Um, or I guess closer to Blue Ridge where there's not like the little town and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so it's, it's super local. Uh, I don't think that people come from out of state, but basically everyone I know in Ohio goes to Hawking Hills. Okay. <clears throat> it surprises me that there is a tourist destination in Ohio. Cause I've over the course of my life, I've worked at 
in a lot of like tourism related fields in different states in Texas and New York and Tennessee and Nashville. And basically all tourists everywhere are from Ohio. So it's surprising that you guys actually there's a place in your state because it seems like no matter where I go, every tourist is from Ohio. Yeah, it's funny. They when we were, you know, researching markets and stuff, they say wherever Ohioans go is usually a good uh, place to buy a vacation rental. So <laughs> you guys like to party, apparently. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right. So what what are you thinking your returns might be on this Hawking Hills property? Yeah, so we're looking at that one doing around forty five thousand, um, and we bought it for two twenty. So looking at like that fifteen to twenty percent range. Uh, but the the goal for the property actually, I didn't buy it for the property itself. It's a tiny home. It's a little three hundred and eighty square foot thing, um, but it comes with five acres. So it's the land that really kind of caught my eye on that because I just see a lot of potential of what we could do in the future with that one. Awesome. Awesome. And that's how far from Columbus? Uh, it's like an hour to an hour and a half. Okay. That's not bad at all. So let's talk about financing for a minute. How have you financed all of these deals? Because I know you haven't had partners maybe outside of like yourself and your boyfriend, but uh, tell me how, how that's worked. Yeah. So Craig and I, uh, we invest together, but we do it kind of separately. So we actually split the debt and what I mean by that is like he'll take one complete loan, then I'll take the second loan and we just kind of go back and forth. The reason we do that is so that we can utilize those conventional loans um, a little bit longer. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so he can have 10 conventional loans, his own, and then I can have 10 conventional loans on my own. So we've used a couple different types of financing. Right now we're dead set on the DSCR just because our debt to income makes us do that. So <laughs> our first one was a 10% down or a 15% down second home loan. Uh, so that's the four bedroom, four bath. That was when Craig was still working a W-2 job. So we were able to qualify for that. Um, after that, we did uh, two investment loans. And then since then, we've done all DSCR loans. Okay. How's your experience been with DSCR? Because I know on our mortgage side, like I've been super excited about DSCR loans because uh, basically there's lots of people out there who might not be able to qualify for something because of DTI, or maybe they have switched jobs from a W-2 to a 1099 and they don't have that two years yet. But what I've found is the at least the products that we've worked with, with the lenders, the wholesale products we've worked with, have been a little clunky and like difficult to get closed. What was your experience with that? So I've actually had great, great luck with the DSCR loans. So the only thing that has okay. ever held up um, our closing or like made the closing frustrating is the appraisals, which I think mm -hmm. is like everywhere right now. So uh, yeah, they've been super smooth. And so I've been self-employed for, you know, five years and or four years and Craig was newly self-employed. So we couldn't get a regular loan, you know, to save our lives, which is actually part of what pushed me into short-term rentals to begin with. So uh, the DSCR loan has been amazing. You know, there, there is a prepayment penalty on those, but I'm, I'm in it kind of for the long run anyway. So I don't plan on selling those within five, six, seven years anyways. Awesome. That's great news. Cause we, we've had some clunky ones, uh, but I guess I don't really hear as much about the ones that go smoothly. I only hear about the ones that uh, something crazy happens. So good to know. Yeah. 
Well, cool. So what, what next then? Uh, once you get the, this Hawking Hills place closed, what else do you have your eye on? Yeah. So uh, our goal for this year is 15 doors, which is a little ambitious. Uh, we may look at, you know, potentially bringing in a partner to get to that goal. But uh, a couple markets that I have my eye on, I love the Pretty Doki area. You know, if some more new builds pop up at that price point, can't say I won't jump on them. Uh, I like the Crystal Beach area. So uh, we really want a beach house for ourselves as well. So even though Pretty Doki, you know, is close to the beach, I do want one that's right on the beach or a couple rows back, something like that. So Crystal Beach, I really like. I think that's one of the kind of sleepers where you can get in at a really good price still <clears throat> without paying, you know, so much over. So really like that area. And then a new area that I am kind of researching is a little tiny sleeper town in Louisiana. So I'm doing more research on that, but I really like the numbers that um, Louisiana is showing right now. Awesome. Awesome. So we are to the last three questions of our show. We ask everyone. The first one is what advice would you give 20 year old Chelsea? Sounds like 20 year old Chelsea did a lot right. So I don't know what advice you have. <laughs> yeah. So I think I would tell her to just kind of enjoy life a little bit more. Uh, I was always so focused on you know, a growth path that I think sometimes I miss out of the crazy stuff that people do in their early 20s. So I would tell her to just kind of enjoy, you got it going on. So just kind of enjoy life a little bit more. That's good advice. And along those same lines, what advice would you give for a newbie who's listening to your story today? Uh, what advice would you give to someone listening who's just starting out today? Yeah. So the biggest advice would definitely be to just do it. So this is, you know, what most people think a risky investment or something that's really not not in the norm, but it's going to pay off. It's going to allow you to choose a path for you that's truly for you. Uh, it's going to allow you to not work for anyone else ever again if that's not what you want to do. Uh, so I would say just do it. Don't listen to everyone putting all the negative thoughts in your ear. Run the numbers. If they make sense, just do it. Also great advice. And last, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? So this is actually a new one. I was going to say Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, which everyone mentions, which is still a phenomenal book. But I actually just got done with The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan. And I think that that is just a phenomenal book on mindset. So I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So I'm constantly living in that gap mindset because that's how my brain is wired so reading this book and just kind of understanding how I can easily change that into the gain uh, is just amazing. And I think mindset is everything. So The Gap and the Gain, hands down, is a phenomenal book. I love that one. And now, since we, my husband and I both read that, anytime something like goes wrong during work or something and I come home and I'm like, oh, this thing happened. He's like, no, 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 you're in the gap. You're in the gap. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that's a great, great recommendation. And thank you so much for coming on. And uh, if any of our listeners want to find you on social media, how do they find you? Yeah. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram. My name is actually Chelsea with a Y hyphen Madison Jones. My mom, you know, loved me so much. She wanted to give me some extra names in there. So <laughs> 
I, being from Mississippi, I am no stranger to the double name. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on and we'll catch you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me.